29 this morning. Yeah, a couple things while uh, we're, we're looking for the, the scriptures there. Uh, one, yeah, our members meeting tonight, we're, we're going to be talking about a number of things. But if you're a member and you're a, you're a regular at the members meeting, you've probably already seen, hopefully, uh, we hope you'll look over those, but you'll all have seen the, not only the bylaw change, which I know is super exciting. I mean, when you talk about bylaw changes, man, I know that's going to make people rush the door, but it's important. The bylaws are important for us because it's how we do our day-to-day operation, and there has to be some accountability that's there. So we joke about it, but we just want to make sure that our bylaws don't supersede the Bible. That's, that's, that's the thing. We need to know our Bibles just as well, even better than those bylaws. Um, but also, the, we're going to be uh, talking about, uh, we're having a motion to sell the bus. So that's probably a little bit more intriguing to you than the bylaw change. So if you would like to, to come and, and be a part of that conversation, um, you know, please, please do come. But while we stand together as we read his word. Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. This is the word of the Lord. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And when he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and, and he foams and grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And he brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out that the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose And when he had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Heavenly Father, may your word go forth, and may your word land in our hearts, and may your word work through us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So this has been one of those weeks. One, this is one of those weeks where I tend to be a little more uh, introspective. And sometimes I get that way when I don't tend to get the rest that I need or maybe the rest that I want. I'm probably getting the rest that I need, but maybe not the rest that I want. I tend to be a little introspective. And it's been, a, it's been kind of a sad week because every so often I start thinking about, you know, friends maybe that have moved away or, you know, expectations that may not have been met 
whether myself or other people. Um, just lots of things that are going on, getting a little sad, seeing my kids grow up and knowing that they're going to be gone for a while. I like my kids. I hope that's been the case for you when you've had kids growing up and you, you, you've enjoyed having them around, but you know that you want to give them roots and you want to give them wings. And so that's been part of what we've been, uh, what we've been trying to do. But I also have been just thinking about over, over my faith journey. Because I see a lot of myself in this passage, and I would assume you will as well. But I've been thinking over a lot of my faith journey, meaning that how different stages of my life have, I've, I've had to, God has been working in me to help me to understand really what faith truly is. And I think that's what's been going on with the disciples here. When I first came to Christ, one of the things that, that I believe that I was taught, maybe they were teaching me more, but this is what I was hearing was, you know, don't you, are, are you a Christian? And, you know, when you die, where do you think you'll go when you die? It's the evangelism explosion, right? If you were to die right now, you know, where do you think you would go? Well, of course, they made the case for me from the scriptures that if I was to die without Jesus, that I would go to hell. If I was to die with Jesus, then I would go to heaven. And uh, between the two, one sounded way better than the other. Heaven sounded way better than hell. And so I said, you know, well, of course I want to do that. And on the last day of vacation Bible school, back in the midst of time in July of 1982, I was just shy of 11, I came to Christ. And I remembered I had to go find my mom because my mom had been praying for me for so long and my dad six months prior had come to Christ. And I felt so much better because now I wasn't going to go to hell. I was going to go to heaven. Amen. Over the next 18 months, we moved from, because of my dad's job, we moved from Virginia to Michigan. We were there for about 14 months, went from Michigan back to Virginia. And when I was in Michigan, the only thing that I wanted to do while I was in Michigan, those of you who are from Michigan, we had like two straight youth pastors who were from Michigan. You know, Tyler, sorry, but you know, here you are from Colorado. But we have, you know, the last two youth pastors were from Michigan. And so if anybody's from Michigan, this is no casting no aspersions on Michigan. But when I was in Michigan, the only thing I wanted in Michigan was to go back to Virginia. And when I went back to Virginia for those five months because of my dad's job, um, because I was from Michigan, because I had just come from Michigan, they're like, well, you're a Yankee. No, I'm not. Listen to my voice. I don't sound like a Yankee at all. And it was terrible. There were fights once a week. It was, it was terrible. Believe it or not, it was awful. And so we ended up moving to Florida where I stayed all through, um, all through college. And one of the things that I remember was developing a pattern was, I got to fit in. I don't want to fight anymore. I got to fit in. So my language adjusted, but it wasn't as bad as those guys. But my language adjusted. My, my activities, my attitudes adjusted, but I wasn't as bad as those guys. So faith for me was, I knew I wasn't living what I was hearing on Sunday because mom and dad made me be in church. I knew I wasn't living on Sunday what I was what was going on during the week, but I knew it wasn't as bad as those guys. So I had the wrong object of faith. I I was looking at somebody else rather than Jesus. When I was a senior in high school, and and some of you, you haven't heard the story in a while, but some of you who've been here, you've heard this. I'm sitting in high school and I'm just jotting down and God's working in me. We had some things going on at church and I, I, I just scribbled out Jesus as Lord. And a guy that I had been going to school with for six years saw that and said, gee, Perry, I didn't know you were a Christian. And so you, you, you're living with a guy for six years and he didn't, or being with a guy for six years and you did not, he did not know that you were a follower of Jesus. And God began to work in me to where I'm like, okay, now my faith is not supposed to be a decision that I made 2,000 years ago. It's a 
life. I started reading my Bible voraciously, voraciously. I, could, I mean, every night I was reading chapter upon chapter. I could not, in fact, I, I was reading the Bible so much, I'd be in science class. I didn't care about what was going on with Darwin. I just wanted to read the Bible. I got a C in there m- m- miraculously. But that's all I wanted to do was read the Bible and understand the Bible and get the Bible. And, but what I began to happen was I, I saw I was reading the Bible, but I saw my other fellow church people. They weren't reading the Bible, and they're not as spiritual as I am. How, how could they not be a spiritual? And so I began to leverage the Bible for my own pride. That's what faith began to be. And then God pulled the rug out from underneath me. I share with you when I was preaching on Psalm 6 that something happened to where I could not feel God anymore. When I was reading the scriptures, there was nothing, nothing. And I remember working at Winn-Dixie, and I'm putting the cantaloupe where it needs to be, and that cantaloupe felt like it was a bowling ball. Just, ugh. It was, I had nothing. I mean, there was nothing there. I was questioning my salvation. I was doubting a bunch of stuff. I believed up here, but I didn't, I didn't feel it. And you know the worst part about stuff like that? I couldn't tell my church folks that I was going through that because I certainly did not need the judgment on top of, out there on top of what was going on in here and it was terrible. So I don't know what happened. I don't know how God brought me out of that. But all I know is, is that we all look at our faith. And we're, we're putting it somewhere. We're either looking at our faith and comparing ourselves to somebody else. We're looking at our faith and we're like, well, uh, I don't feel it, but I, maybe that's not, I'm not supposed to feel it. Or you're struggling with doubts, but you can't tell somebody else about it because they're going to be all over you. I mean, we're, we're all over the place. And I think we've just gotten faith wrong. Because what faith is, is counting on Jesus and his work, not just you and your work. Your work is connected with trusting what Jesus and his work was all about. So let, let's go through this because you're, you're going to see yourself in this passage. I did it again, right? You're, you're going to see yourself in this passage. And, and we're going to look at what belief can be like, but when we talk about how Jesus helps us in our unbelieving belief, there are going to be times when you're like, I believe you, Lord, but I don't get what's going on here. I don't get what's going on out here. I don't get what's going on in here. I don't get what's going on up here. I don't get it. I believe. But I need you to help me through my unbelief here. Don't think. If you're young in the faith, it may shock you that I'm saying this. Or if you're not in the faith, you think, well, once you become a Christian, and especially if you become a pastor, boy, everything just smooths out. No, in a lot of ways, because you're getting out of the way your own expectations on things, a lot of times it can get really, really bumpy. That's why you need the Word to help you understand. Make the rough places smooth. That's why you need the Word to be able to help you understand. So here's one thing. Number one that we see in here when we're looking at this is that belief can be absent. There are people that have a belief system, but it's absent of the belief that God is calling us to, even if they say, in their mouths, with their mouths, I believe in him. Look at this, verse 14, where it says, And they came to the disciples and saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes, oh, the scribes. The scribes were arguing with them. Now, you sometimes see the Pharisees and the scribes, you see them getting together. Well, a scribe, 
every so often when we're in a meeting and, uh, you know, nobody, somebody needs to take minutes and I ask, well, who's going to be the scribe? You know, I don't say who's going to be the secretary, especially in deacons meeting. Deacons don't want to be called secretaries. I don't know why. But so we, call, we say scribes, right? They're the ones that are going to be taking the, the, the minutes and the notes so that we can keep up with uh, what needs to be going on and not forget from month to month. There's a lot of water under the bridge when it comes to what goes on month to month to month. So we keep those, we keep those things. And what, so what are the scribes doing? The scribes' job was to write down the copies of the, of the law, write down copies of the scriptures, they knew what it said. They knew what it said about the Messiah. They knew what it said about all of the laws, all 613 laws that they came up with, 365 negative ones and 248 positive ones. They, they knew all of the law. They, 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 they had it down, and yet when Jesus is standing before them, the object of the law, the purpose of the law, the author of the law, the meaning of the law, they had... They didn't, they didn't care for him. They didn't like him. In fact, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but in Mark 3.22, it says that, you know, that what he's doing is of Beelzebul, the devil. They attributed the works of God that they said they held to, and they attributed it to the devil. But what they didn't like about Jesus was this. They were using the Bible, and I know this really, really well. They were using the Bible for power, leverage, control, influence. They knew the Bible better. I know the Bible better than you. Therefore, I'm better. I'm spiritually superior. I'm morally superior. And when I told you a little bit about my faith journey, I went through that as well. And my mom jerked a knot in me. I'll tell you about that sometime. But when, when you're going through this, and it's like you're using God's word not to humble you, but to make you feel better about yourself. And to use it as leverage for other people. And sometimes churches can be soft targets for that. Because most people in church, they want to get along with everybody. But if there's someone that has that personality and they're using the Bible to leverage themselves, they can wedge their way in and really cause a lot of disunity. We've got to be really careful about looking at that. They, but, but when we look at ourselves, we can say, well, I believe. Some of you here may not have a belief system at all. You may, or you may say, I don't believe in any of that. I don't have any belief system. That's a belief system. Having no belief system is a belief system. You're thinking that this is going to provide answers. I used to be very cynical. And one of the things that I used to say was, if you lower your expectations, can any of you fin- finish that thought? If you lower your expectations, you'll never be disappointed. So keep those expectations low. Don't expect a lot out of people. Don't expect a lot of, out of the government. Don't expect a lot out of this. Don't expect a lot out of church. Don't expect a lot out of yourself. You'll never be disappointed. Your patron saint is mediocrities, right? Just keep it right there in the middle. Don't try too much. Don't try too little. And sometimes that's what people say. Well, I'm not going to expect a lot out of God because that way he won't disappoint me. But you've got to go by what he's telling you to do. You've got to move forward well. And so we have to make sure that we don't have an absent belief even in the middle of while we're saying we have a belief. We're not putting it into practice. That's number one. Number two, belief can be assumed. You can assume you have, you can assume for, to, uh, to looking at other people that they have some sort of belief. And this is where we're looking at the crowd. So it talks about in verse 15, and immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. They, they, it looked like that they were really true followers of Jesus. 
They were in proximity. But this is what can happen. And you may have a belief like this that I would hope you will repent of. You can be close enough to Jesus to have a lot of the benefits of that, but not want to get too close for it to cost you anything. So I, you, you may read your Bible. You may do all of these things. You may put bumper stickers on your car. Make sure you drive the speed limit. If you put Christian bumper stickers on your car, make sure that you're abiding by the, the rules of the road. That's why you may not see a lot of those on my car. Sometimes I, it gets a little, fro- little froggy there. But we have to make, but we have to make sure because sometimes we don't, we're not thinking when we're driving. But we've got to be really careful about that because, you know, there's sometimes where people like coming to church and you may love coming to church and feeling and hearing about Jesus may make you feel so good. Isn't it wonderful that he came and did all of those good things and was, and was so nice and was, wow, I, it just makes me feel, but then when he calls you to do something, like if you go back to Mark eight thirty four, if anyone would come after me, okay, let him deny himself. Well, there's a cost to denying yourself, isn't there? Our whole world is talking about exalting yourself. There's a cost to denying yourself. There's a cost to taking up your cross. That means you have to die daily to yourself. Well, that's a cost. That doesn't sound fun. Can't you just affirm me the way that I am? Can't you just take me as I am? Doesn't the old song say, just as I am without one plea? Yeah, but you listen to the rest of the song. He's not going to leave you there. He loves you too much to leave you there. And he says, you know, to follow me. Anyone who wants to save his life is going to lose it. Anyone who wants to lose his life for my sake will save it. There's a cost. But some of you do not want to get so close to Jesus that it's going to cost you your job, your relationships, your reputation, your power, your control, your influence. No, I'll get just enough. But don't, going all in, no, that's, that's for the Jesus freaks. That's just for, that's for the people that, well, they, you know, they don't have anything else to do. They don't have anything to lose. Yes, they do. And so do you. Your life. And so we have to make sure that we are looking at this. In, in, in um, John chapter 2, verses 23 to 25, this was soon after you know, Jesus cleansed the temple, soon after he did the, the miracle at the wedding at Cana. He said, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, it says, many believed in his name. When they saw the signs that he was doing, they liked the benefits but Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, which actually that word entrust is the same root as the word believed. When you say you believe, that means you're all in. You're trusting. You're treasuring. Full fidelity to him. Not part, but fully. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about a man, for he himself knew what was in man. Some of you, you love Jesus and what you think he can do for you and you love him as long as he gives you that job and he gives you that grade in school and he doesn't give you anybody that, 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 that where you're going to somebody's going to say something bad about you or against you oh you love Jesus when it's like that but when he's calling you to roll up your sleeves and use the gifts that he's given to you find out what those gifts are to begin with And realize you have to die to him daily, denying yourself daily. Make those hard choices 
because it's what he would call you to do. Not back off because it, it may be harder on you financially, physically, emotionally. No, you lean in because you know he's all for you. He's for you. We have to be very careful. Remember in John 6 when Jesus said, anyone, you, in order for you to follow me, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, which means you just, you've got to be, he's, he's the bread of life, he's the living water. And you know what happened? He said, this is a hard saying. Who can bear it? And soon after, everybody except for the 12 quit following him. He went from tens of thousands of people following him to 12. Terrible church growth plan. Terrible. You talk about, wow. You know, we, we, sometimes we get a little nervous when it's like, well, you know, one year we've got this amount and then the next year it's a little bit less. Go from 20,000 to 12, right? But, but he was speaking truth. And people just didn't want to bear, to bear and count the cost. But is Jesus worth the cost for you? Or is Jesus only worth the cost for you as long as everything's going smoothly and everybody behaves themselves, right? Sometimes our belief can be assumed. Don't assume it. Our object of belief is Jesus. It always has been. Now, not his blessings always, because sometimes he may not. He may send you to that valley of the shadow of death. But he's promised to be with you. He's always the object of our faith. He must be. Number three, belief can go awry. And this is where we're talking, number three, belief can go awry. And this is where we're talking about the disciples. Now, let's camp here just for a little bit here. Because the disciples, what what was going on here? Well, Jesus had gone up with, with Peter, James, and John to the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John did not want to leave. They wanted to they wanted to get a real estate agent. They wanted to build a couple of houses up there, three, three in particular. And they're like, we want to just stay here. We want to stay here in the presence of the glory of God. How wonderful. And sometimes we may have had those experiences where we've been in the presence of the Lord. And we just don't want to leave. But we have to because there's work to be done. And so Jesus with Peter, James, and John, they go down the mountain. And what is meeting them? An argument. Hey, Jesus, can't we go back up the mountain? That was so nice up there. Do we have to be in the middle of this where it's going? Okay, so the disciples are standing there and they're having this argument with the scribes. And can you imagine, because this is what's happening. This is, I think, what's happened sometimes in a lot of our business meetings over the, over the course of time and over the course of our churches. You're arguing over this stuff and there's people that are hurting. And you're spending all your time arguing over stuff. We need the, the businesses to help those who are hurting. And we got to make sure we're not forgetting that while we're taking care of all of the other stuff. But we get to the disciples, and when it talks about here, you know, wh- why are you arguing? Verse 16. So the, the father jumps in. He doesn't wait for the scribes to answer. He doesn't wait for the disciples to answer. The disciples are trying to figure out what's going on and why they can't do their work that they were able to do beforehand. And so the, the dad comes in. I have a son, he's got a spirit that's throwing him into the fire. Well, your, your disciples, I brought him to you, you weren't here, but I thought your disciples could help and they couldn't do anything. And Jesus, once again, is exasperated, which is to show that being exasperated is, is not always sinful. Sometimes it is. But there's a legitimate time to be exasperated. And here it is, oh, faithless generation. Oh, faithless generation. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. I, I, I hear it. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, and immediately the boy convulsed and he fell to the ground, uh, rolled about, foaming in the mouth. So this, is, this has the earmarks of an epileptic seizure 
that this demon is manifesting. That's what's going on here. And so Jesus begins to dig in a little bit with the father. How long? Well, from childhood. So you can understand why the father is there believing that Jesus can do it, but there's also that disbelief, that unbelief. If you can and have compassion on him, you can, if I can, I can see Jesus, if I can. You know, of course I can. All things are possible for one who believes. Don't misread that because sometimes people use that to say, well, I want a new car. It's about whether all things are possible in accordance with his will because sometimes God says no to you. Are you okay with God saying no to you? I have a dog at home that does not like anybody saying no to him. In fact, the more, you, the more I say no to him, the more he keeps coming. It's really interesting about that. Sometimes kids are that way. You know, how can you tell me no? You know, we adults handle no beautifully, don't, don't we? Aren't we great when someone tells us that we can't do something, shouldn't do something? We, oh, we, we're fine with that. Well, of course not. It's, it's absurd. We struggle with that. But all things are possible for the one who, who believes. I want to put a pin here and go back to the disciples because when you look at verse 28 and 29, verses 28 and 29, And when he had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? Now, why would they ask that question? They weren't Jesus. But Jesus gave them some power temporarily back in Mark 6, didn't he? In Mark 6, 7 to 13, it talks about here that he he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. And then it says later on, and they, in verse 13, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. I think, I always make that caveat, I think they thought that would always be there. But that was a temporary anointing that Jesus gave to them just for that amount of time. That's what temporary means. Just for that amount of time, he gave them that anointing. But I think they thought that would always be there. Well, that, was the, uh, that happened before. Why can't it happen now? And you say, well, how silly for them to think that. You know, I think we do the same thing. And, and here's how I think we do it. So sometimes people come to me with ideas, which I'm glad for. I'm glad that you're not just sitting there and, and just being a spectator and, and then washing your hands and, okay, I'll go. I got my church in and now I can go do whatever I want. Amen. No, you're, you're thinking about things. And so sometimes when people, th- there's ideas that come. And this has been over 30 years of ministry and the ideas are like, you know, we should do this because I saw it work at a church up the road. And we should do it here because it worked there. Well, there, you can also see something else where it's like, you know, we did this a long time ago at our church. And, boy, God really blessed it, and I think we should do that again. Or you can, um, you can say this, well, you know, I haven't really prayed about this, but, but it just makes sense for us to do it. It makes financial sense. It makes physical sense. It makes spiritual sense. It just makes sense. 
Okay, so when Jesus... So hang on to that. So when Jesus here is saying, and he said to them, this cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. I have some friends who have read that, and I think some of your versions may say prayer and fasting. Fine. Okay. Prayer. Some manuscripts say prayer and fasting. Let's just say prayer and fasting. So I think some people read that and think, well, this is a really over-the-top prayer. This is like a, a, a super anointing of prayer and you know this this and they 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 try to make it something that's outside of the lane of what ordinary christians would do which is pray not pray but pray not fast for 21 days maybe fast for a meal so what what's being said here what's being said here is this We cannot continually operate based upon borrowing from the past or borrowing from somebody else or borrowing from somebody from some other church or something else. Everything we do, every task we do for the Lord, which really is every task we do, every decision we make has to be, has to be, has to be bathed in prayer. I'll wait. Because what has happened to us is this. We have elevated tradition. We have elevated competition, comparing. We've elevated conventional wisdom and common sense and put it as the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So we come along And we ask you as leaders, we pray that you'll be a part of this. We pray that you'll contribute to this. We pray that you'll, you know, we're asking you to pray. And you know what needs to happen? Have we prayed for what we're asking you to do? Yeah, but it makes sense. And this is 30 years of ministry. It makes sense financially. Yes, but is that what God wants us to do? This can only be done by prayer. That's what, he, what he's saying here is, it's not some supernatural anointing necessarily as we've got to be sure that we are praying about everything so that we are relying on God about everything that we are doing, everything that we're saying, everything that we're thinking. That we're bringing it to him, bringing it to him, bringing it to him. Is this what you want us to do right now? Whether it's next steps, whether it's bus, whether, I mean, you've got a bunch of things that we're asking you to pray about. We've got a bunch of things. And I've got to say this. Well, I I remember this, because I've done it. I remember this worked about 15 years ago when I was a youth pastor. Mm, Bet you we could do that now. Let's do it. This makes sense, this makes sense, this makes sense. No, no, no. Conventional wisdom, tradition, comparison, comparisons are not a substitute for the Holy Spirit. So we have to make sure. I met with Wynn earlier. I'm going to out you, Wynn, on this conversation. I heard you. There you are. Okay. Pastor Matt, do you think that we're a house of prayer? And you know what I said? This, this, is, this is my stock answer when I don't think we're there. Where we're getting there. Are we? Those of you who are leaders who are presenting stuff, 
Those of you who are pastors who are getting ready to present stuff, are you praying through what you're asking God's people and God's church to do? Or does it just make sense to you? And I think when that shift happens, my friend Dave Howarth would always remind me, Matt, be sure you're going at the speed of God. If he's not telling you, you hold on. And if he is telling you, then you better not hold off. Go in the direction that God is calling you to do. So when we look at this thing, what must our belief be like? Our belief must be absolute. Now, what do I mean by absolute? That, I'm not meaning that you've got to just start believing even more. Oh, come on, belief. Get up there, belief. All right, we're there. Ding, we're there. I think that's what we do, and I think that's why we get frustrated, and I think that's why my belief journey for so many years was so frustrated because I was looking at the wrong thing. I normally don't have other preachers preach while I'm preaching because I don't want, I was getting ready to make a joke, but I don't want you to see what a real preacher looks like. But, but you know, we're, we're getting ready to hear a, a, a gentleman, and I sent this to some of you, name of Don Carson. It's called The Ground of Our Assurance. So whoever is the one to press play, I need you to watch this and see what The Ground of Our Assurance is. Picture two Jews by the name of Smith and Brown, remarkably Jewish names. <laughs> the day before the first Passover, having a little discussion in the land of Goshen, and Smith says to Brown, boy, are you a little nervous about what's going to happen tonight? Brown says, well, God told us what to do through his servant Moses. You don't have to be nervous. Haven't you slaughtered the the lamb and daubed the two doorposts with blood, put blood on the lintel? Haven't you you done that? You're all ready and packed to go? You're going to eat the, the whole Passover meal with your family? Of course I've done that. I'm not stupid. But it's still pretty scary. When you think of all the things that have happened around here recently, you know, flies and river turning to blood and pretty awful. And, and, and now there's a threat of the firstborn being killed, you know? It's all right for you. you got three sons. I've only got one. And I love my Charlie, and, 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 and the angel of death is passing through tonight, you, you, you know? I, I know what, what God says, and I put the blood there, but, but it's pretty scary. I'll be glad when this night is over. And the other one responds, bring it on. I trust the promises of God. That night, the angel of death swept through the land. Which one lost his son? And the answer, of course, is neither. Because death doesn't pass over them on the ground of the intensity or the clarity of the faith exercised. Hmm but on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. That's what silences the accuser. The blood silences the accuser of the brothers as he accuses us before God. He silences our consciences when he accuses us 
directly. How many times do we writhe in agony asking if God can ever love us enough, if God can ever care for us enough after we've done such stupid, sinful, rebellious things, after being Christians for 40 years? What are you going to say? Well, you know, God, I, I tried hard, you know. I did, I did my best. It was, a, it was a bad moment. No, 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 no. I have no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. We overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. There is the ground of all human assurance before God. There is the ground of our faith. Not guaranteeing intensity of faith, so fickle are we. It's not the intensity of our faith, but the object of our faith that saves. They overcome him on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. So I needed some help to bring that home. I saw that about 10 years ago, and I saw it about a month ago, and I probably watched that 100 times. It's not hyperbole. I want you, I beg of you, in your faith journey, not to put the object of your faith in anything or anyone else but Christ. It is what he has done. We operate and work based upon what he has done. And so, he quotes hymns too. It's another reason I like him. My faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall plead. Enough for me that Jesus saves, this ends my fears and doubt. A sinful soul, I come to him, he'll never cast me out. My heart is leaning on the word, the living word of God. Salvation by my Savior's name, salvation through his blood. My great physician heals the sick, the lost he came to save. For me his precious blood he shed, for me his life he gave. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Your belief right now may be absent. Your belief right now may be awry. Your belief right now may be assumed, but it's not too late. Let's make our belief absolute, absolute in what Jesus accomplished on our behalf. He's the object of our faith. Not you, not your feelings. He's the object of our faith. Let's pursue him with everything that we have. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the time that you have given to us here. Lord, I see everything that Jesus is accomplishing for us. And Lord, we tend to think that fulfilling your will is impossible, but with him all things are possible. Help us, Lord. Lord, while you may heal us physically, whether directly or by the use of the wisdom and the skill of doctors. We know that it's only by the great physician that we can be healed spiritually, that, we, that our sins can be redeemed, and that we can be restored as we turn from our sins in repentance and trust you and you alone as Lord and Savior. We want no other substitutes. We want no other argument. 
We need no other plea. May we be ones where everything that we are doing, even if it means we have to slow down, I want to slow down a decision as I speed up to you and come into your presence say, Lord, is this what you have for us? Guide us and help us, Lord. And if there's anyone here, if they're followers of Jesus and have been there a while, but there may be something that they sense needs to be taken care of, let now be the day. If there's any here who are not followers of Jesus, even if they've been coming to church for years and years and years, but your Holy Spirit is telling them, you're not mine, you're close, you're in proximity, but I want you to be all in. And may they come to Christ now to be saved from their sins and to be restored to where they need to be. Send revival on this place, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We sing a wonderful hymn, "'Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus." And I know life's got ups and downs. But in the middle of all of the things that are going on, I hope that you're able to see that it is sweet, even in the midst of the, of the issues, that there, it, is a, it is sweet to trust in Him and to treasure Him. Why don't we sing that together and sing it with our hearts?
So I'm not sure what this week is going to bring to you, just like I'm not sure what the week brought to you last week. You're going to have some ups. There's going to be some good things I pray that will happen to you. Give glory to God for that, that even in this broken world, good things can still happen. Give, give God the glory. You may have some things where you may have some things that happen in this week that are kind of send you a little low. Does that mean that he's absent? No. I mean, we know when the clouds come uh, in the west and cover the mountains, we know those mountains are still there. So if there's clouds that come, please know that on the other side of those clouds that he's there. He's there with you. In fact, he, last week he spoke out of a cloud. You know, that, that can mean that his presence is there, but he's still moving and working even if we can't tell it. The object of our faith is not the absence or the presence of clouds. The object of our faith is not things going really well for us or things making sense to you. The object of our faith is Jesus and Jesus and only Jesus. He is more than enough for us. So please don't forget that. It will help you, I promise. Hi, Vaughn. Would you please?